Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 18 of Music is Not a Genre, MXG. No hand gestures this week. It's been a, been a long week. Uh, thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash genre or on anchor.fm slash genre. Uh, monthly donations start as little as $5. Uh, I think on both of those, honestly, go, go as low or as high as you want. Uh, my public hub is youtube.com slash at music is not a genre. My website is nickdematio.com where you can find things like this and many, many other things. Video clips, audio clips, entire discography. Speaking of which, please always listen to and support my band, Rec, at recarea.bandcamp.com. For those of you watching, it's easy to spell because I'm wearing that shirt today for a very specific reason. For those of you just listening, it's R-E-C, recarea.bandcamp.com. Let's get right to it. This week, uh, I have gone insane yet again. That's two weeks in a row. For those of you counting, I have no idea how long this episode is going to be, even though I have it structured because I'm doing some kind of crazy things. The topic, which does not need, I decided just before starting to record this, that it does not need a subtitle. I was like, I just can't land on a subtitle. I can't think of a subtitle. And sometimes that's just your brain telling you it doesn't need one. The title of this is The Greatest Rock Explosion in Music History. So having heard that, uh, and if you haven't read below, I'm going to give you a second to decide for yourself what you think that is and when you think that is three two one so uh, i'm going to tell you right off the bat that this doesn't mean that this is when i was the biggest fan i'm a fan of rock music from all eras uh and all of that stuff i'm not even claiming that this was by far the best music of any rock era that's impossible to judge uh, but I am saying that at no other period in history was any other decade as explosive in terms of the amount and variety of rock music as this decade. It's not the 1960s. Seminal, seminal era. You know, I always contend, and I'm not the only one, that rock music really started in the 1940s before it was called that. And like Rocket 88 and songs like that. I've mentioned that song before because I know so little about it. That's that's the only song I can remember from that era. And then, of course, the 50s is when it got its name and it, and it rose in popularity. The 60s was when uh, it really had its first explosion, to my mind. The 70s uh, is when it was trying to find its way. It, it, it was expanding and then kind of lost its way and then kind of refound its way and new things popped up and old things fell away, but not forever, because nothing ever falls away forever. Um, the 80s were bizarre for rock music, and most of the excellent rock music was honestly underground. Uh, the 90s, uh, as we know, it was grunge. It was, uh, you know, Riot Girl, alt-metal, post-grunge, ska, pop-punk, pop-rock, things that would continue to the following decade, but but really, it was a revitalization of rock music at a time when it kind of needed it because it was stuck in kind of some uh, retro ideas and hair metal and fracturing, you know, post-punk and some bands that had been rock were doing pop, et cetera, et cetera. So it needed an infusion, as all music does every now and then needs an infusion of new ideas. 
And the reason I'm stopping there is because the decade I'm talking about with the title of this episode is the 2000s. So I'll give you another second there to either express your delight or your outrage at me saying this. And I I don't have the time or resources, hello Patreon, people who would like to support, to do such a detailed and complete research and account of all bands ever in history to say with 100% certainty that the 2000s contained the biggest explosion of rock music. But there are so many reasons why that would be true. Partly because music was a lot cheaper and easier to make by the 2000s. Almost everyone, especially younger artists, were uh, transitioning over to digital recording, home recording. Uh, Rock had gotten a lot of uh, influence and inspiration from the previous decade, not to mention all the decades before that, but the but the 90s infused a lot of uh, people who wanted to pursue rock music with the thought that, hey, I can do this and I can make it work because so many bands came out of nowhere in the 90s to make it work as well and went mainstream and all of that stuff. Uh, the 2000s, of course, the population was greater. So, we're, you know, it's it's impossible to say, oh, per population, you know, per capita, uh, this decade had more rock bands. It's really, I think, just hard numbers, you know, one-to-one numbers. And the amount of ideas and variety of rock music really was never greater and yeah, I would say to some extent it's a little bit greater now, but only because as time passes, more there are more variations constantly. But in terms of the impact on the culture at large and rock's ability to capture the charts and be successful, you know, in the zeitgeist and financially and for record labels and for indie uh, labels and for people unsigned even, the, you can't beat the 2000s. I think the 90s were the lead up to that. But my contention is is the 2000s and i'm sticking with it so i'd like to hear as always your opinion on this and let me know if you heard that and you were like that is ridiculous what about the 1970s or you know of course it's the 1960s or whatever you know whatever you want to say or if you're super underground and you talk about how many bands in the 1980s were doing their thing that ended up influencing what happened in the 1990s and the 2000s and beyond then tell me that too. I am still going to stick to my guns here and say that it really is the 2000s, you know. And part of that is because the, the you know, landscape of music from the 1990s was starting, things were starting to fray. You had record labels in particular, and yes, some artists, but I never blame the artists as much as I do record labels because they don't make decisions based on usually based on artistry or quite often not even on musical quality or anything like that. It's what can make money. So their idea was, well, grunge is all of a sudden making this ton of money, which of course they didn't think it would when it started. And then all of a sudden it did. And they were like, let's cash in on this. So you had a lot of uh, grunge like music, or post-grunge music, or uh, manufactured grunge music. And at that point, things were getting so, you know, sour with all of that, that grunge kind of, you know, rose and, and peaked and fell away, I think more quickly than anybody expected it to. And something new needed to come along. And since the record labels were already starting to get concerned 
at least the ones who, who who knew what was going on with the internet and you know Napster and and MP3.com and all the and, and sites where you could either rip music, find it yourself, which I'm going to get to that later on for a very specific reason. I'm pointing down at my lap, uh, not to be suggestive, but I've got something there that there's something that I want to show you later on. Oh, geez, that made it sound worse. But the, the point being, there were ways to get music in the 90s that were starting to chip away at the monolith that was the record industry. Not to mention, as an indie artist, you could release your own music towards the end of that decade without, you know, and I mean practically globally and eventually globally, without having to deal with record labels at all. So anybody with ideas to do a music like this they were everywhere, you know? So, and the thing with the nineties is, you know, that's one of my favorite eras. It, it was seminal for me in so many ways, both, both as a listener and as a musician, but I can, I think the nineties was the last true last gasp of the kind of divisional, uh, uh landscape of music. Let's say, okay. You had a period and I don't know how far back it goes. I don't know enough about how people talked about music in the 30s, 40s, etc. But you had a period, I think at least from the 1950s on, through the 1990s, where the kind of music you liked said so much about you and, and so uh, defined who you were socially, at least, that if you liked one band from one genre, but then another band from like, let's for, oh God, here's, here's a perfect example. If you were into Alice in Chains and then you told an Alice in Chains fan that you were also into the Spin Doctors, they'd probably punch you or, or at least walk away because there was still that sense of, you know, the, it was it the Beatles or was it the Stones? Was it rock music or was it disco? Was it, uh, music with keyboards, music without keyboards. And, the, you know, so many grunge bands, the majority of them didn't use keyboards at all, you know. So you really had to take sides. It was kind of a taking sides kind of mentality. And I say that the 90s were the last gasp of that. It's it's partly because everything runs its course. And it's, and it's I think, largely because of the internet and people, uh, you know, whatever cons there are about people to people listening to music on their own and... Uh, there's not a, a sense of shared musical uh, experience and destiny in, in quite the same way that there was in person prior to that. You could find all the music you wanted and like whatever you wanted. And as the internet grew with that, eventually just nobody cared. You know, And you'll find either older people or people with somewhat closed minds to this day who will argue that you know, if you like one kind of music, you shouldn't like another kind of music, however you want to say that. Uh, but I think when I know when I talk to, you know, my kids or or even people older than that who don't remember much about the 90s and before, they're often surprised that, oh, well, you couldn't say that you liked, uh, I don't know, um, you know, Billie Eilish and baby metal or something like that. Like, uh, yeah, like this to this day or today say that and people are like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, you've got, you've got interesting tastes or, you know, diverse tastes. Nobody cares. And that's a very, almost nobody cares. And that's a beautiful thing. 
And that started to happen in the 90s as that divisional mentality of music was falling away, which is why in the 2000s you had bands who, again, decided we need to redefine what's going on in rock music. We need to bring back keyboards. We need to bring back uh, a certain kind of dryness of uh, production the way you had in the late 70s and early 80s. So you had kind of a post-punk revival and all that. And very soon I'm going to get into uh, what genres and subgenres were heavily represented uh, there in the 2000s. And then you have bands who were continuing to do what they did well, who started in the 80s or 90s or sometimes even in the 70s and continued to have success either through just sticking to their strengths or and or making changes that reflected what was going on at the time. And so all of this coming together with little to no restrictions on how or where or or how you recorded it or what, you know, what even what constituted a band. There were, you know, the 90s, I think, was more started this, but it's when the 2000s and certainly the 2010s and now where you could call yourself a band and be one person. You know, we'll get to this list here, which I haven't told you about yet. Uh, the one reason why I don't know how long this is going to be, but there's a little surprise here at the end of this episode. Uh, and and truly at the end, I'm restructuring how the episodes usually go, uh, both both for fun and also to benefit you if you're, if you're not into this surprise. But uh, I'll be mentioning a band called Badly Drawn Boy, who to me... And I can't say this with any certainty, but but at least in terms of my knowledge of this, was the first or one of the first single people who gave themselves a name that was a quote unquote band name, but it was just one person, you know. And now you have, uh, and then you had like Tame Impala and and bands, you know, so far beyond that at this point that it doesn't even serve to start listing or what are the one person bands out there. Because it's just, you know, there's just too many of them. But really, that started to go crazy in the 2000s and took over, really, as far as rock goes, in many ways in the 2010s. So in the 2000s, like I said, you had pretty much every kind. You had, you did. You had every kind of rock. And you could say that about any any era, because even if a certain kind of rock isn't popular, you know, let's say rockabilly wasn't popular in the 2000s, it still existed. There were bands still doing it. But these are the genres that were very heavily represented in the 2000s. It's a, not a very long list, so I'm just going to go through it you, uh, in, in alphabetical order. And I mean heavily. I mean uh, these genres each had a tremendous amount of chart success and a tremendous number of bands representing these genres or crossover versions. And the, one of the interesting things about the uh, mixes that I'm going to share later, another surprise, is that there are bands I put on one mix that also ended up in another mix because they weren't, again, limiting themselves to, oh, we can only do songs that are super hardcore or that, are, or that do or don't have electronic elements. And that was another thing that started to happen way, 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 way more in the 2000s. So some genres that were big then, alt rock, blues rock, Christian rock, dance rock, death metal, electro rock, emo, big time, garage rock, big time, indie folk, math rock, metalcore, new metal, both big time, pop punk, huge, pop rock, post grunge, post hardcore, post punk, big time, post rock, we'll talk about uh, in a different episode, pop, power pop, one of my favorites, prog metal, similar to math rock, 
psychedelic rock, roots rock, screamo, cousin of emo, soft rock, southern rock. All of those were heavily represented in the 2000s. Uh, now, of those, I think that the prominent movements, the, the, the sub-genres that were really taking over at the time were garage rock, post-punk, post-Britpop, so bands that came after, you know, oh, Happy Mondays, Oasis, and all that, that were doing something new. Uh, post-punk, emo, screamo, put them all together because they're all related. Power pop, post-grunge, like Creed and, and Nickelback, I think, are two. Uh, and I'll talk again more about all this stuff later. Uh, Chris, Christian rock, big time. And it's something I wasn't fully aware of because it's not a genre I follow. But when I did the research and uh, anybody who grew up in the 80s who remembers the band Striper with a Y instead of an I and their album To Hell With The Devil was the first time I ever became aware that you could do uh, you know, Christian music in in really any format you wanted, but in particular metal music. Uh, that grew and grew in the 90s and exploded in the 2000s. And uh, I mean, it's still here. You know, again, I don't listen to it, but I know it's still here. Prog metal and new metal, which uh, used to just be called rap rock back in the early 90s. And then it was given, you know, when Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park came along and bands like that, you know. Uh, there were some other, and this is where it gets really fun to me. Other than genres, what other things were happening in the music world that to me were kind of movements that were uh, happening more than once? You know, it was trends, trends. One is, and I remember seeing this particularly with uh, these bands, the Hives, the Vines, the Strokes, the White Stripes. What do they all have in common? The word the. There was an, a, a, a sub-explosion, uh, part of the bigger explosion of bands whose names started with the word the, which you didn't see a lot of in the 90s, and you really didn't see much of in the 80s. You saw a little bit in the 70s, maybe early 80s, but and certainly in the 60s. But uh, it had fallen out of favor, and then all of a sudden was back in favor in the, in the 2000s, especially the early 2000s. And there were even bands who, if they wasn't the first word, it was the word in the middle, you know. So all the, other than the bands I name... You, you had like Cage the Elephant and Minus the Bear and Portugal the Man. You know, so a lot of those, a lot of those everywhere, right? You also had a lot, uh, quite a few bands who uh, had weird three word names like Badly Drawn Boy and things that I'm sure meant something to them. But in some cases, you couldn't maybe figure out it was almost as though they were parts of bigger phrases or parts of bigger ideas. But when I talk about these bands and my big surprise, you'll uh, hear how many bands had these kind of weird three-word names. That was a big trend. Um, Made-up compound words. Uh, So many of those. Uh, I don't know if it was as big as these other trends, but you had bands like Baby Shambles, Charm Particle, you know, uh, Yellow Card. Those Those aren't actual compound words as far as I know. But they became compound words. It became band names. Uh, and then, and then again, big thing, big thing: reintegration of keyboards into rock music, danceable beats into rock music. I remember uh, thinking in the '80s, especially with like early U2, 
and post-punk in general and new romantic new wave but but even even stuff that didn't have heavy electronic elements and keyboards that one of my favorite kind of mini genres was dance rock was rock that was deliberately made to dance to but also still had an edge to it still had that kind of rock drive to it and that has been around i think well for a while but certainly in in the way i'm talking about since the late 70s and came to fruition in my mind in the 2000s one of the big genres of the 2000s when you think of let's say uh Mr. Brightside by the Killers. That's a perfect example of a dance rock song, you know, and there was so much of that, you know, you can call it post post punk in some ways, but it was even more than that. Some of the songs by Block Party, same thing. Um, and that had a lot and, and, you know, that was influenced a lot by the fact that people were no longer thinking of keyboards as something that you couldn't do in rock music. You know, they were ever present in the eighties and any kind of music almost in the nineties if you were doing rock, you were not doing keyboards unless it was like, you know, Roots Rock or uh, what's the name? The Black Crows and bands like that with an organ or something. But you didn't have synths in rock in the 90s. That was a, that was basically a no-no. I remember when I started producing music back then thinking, well, damn, I, I was so good on the keyboards and learned how to program them and was, you know, doing all this stuff. and And then the you know tide shifted and if you did keyboards then you better be like nine inch nails or somebody like that if you were going to get anywhere close to rock because any other kind of rock just forget it don't even bother you know and i mean it forced me to learn how to play the guitar better and and changed my uh writing style in ways that i think were ultimately beneficial but it really wasn't until i started to reintegrate keyboards into my sound in a heavy way, which again was the 2000s with this band right here in my shirt, Wreck, that I I found and ultimately, you know, developed and found and came to what I think of as my actual style, electro power pop. And that was huge in the 2000s and, and, and such an important thing, the reintegration of keyboards, you know. Now, I have a couple of other things to get to here before I get to the grand finale. And that is this. You had that decade. And if you watched my episode last week, I talked about that briefly, about how, you know, indie rock was huge in this decade and also huge on the charts, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Emo and Fallout Boy and Blink-182, forget it. This, you know, even Avril Lavigne, you know, and, and one of Liz Fair's most successful albums and all of that was power pop and whatever else you wanted to call it, but it was rock music. By the end of the 2000s, uh, it was starting to wear itself out. Um, I think that's partly because listening demographics changed drastically when the internet exploded because it gave people with diverse tastes and backgrounds more access to more kinds of music and and a decision-making power that they didn't have before when it came to things like streaming numbers and download numbers and and what things that were existing or, or coming to exist in the 2000s. And because music making was getting cheap, 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 like every year, cheaper and cheaper to make n- not just good music, but quality sounding music, people of all, again, all backgrounds and interests were making music 
in ways that couldn't be done before because it would cost so much money to get all these electronic elements and then go to a studio or all that stuff. The cheapest way to do it for, for the longest time, even if you were using like a four-track cassette recorder, was just to have, you know, guitar, bass, drums or, or, or whatever it is. And maybe a keyboard, if you were lucky. And, and then all of the electronic stuff became super cheap. So that took precedence. Uh, you know, hip-hop was surging to the point where it eventually, I think towards the end of that decade at least, became the dominant, you know, money-making music and most popular music, you know, and, and that continued and influenced how electronic music, which I talked about last week too, was so huge in the 2010s. And part of that is everything goes in cycles. You need to shift. You need to shift so that you can come back renewed. You need to shift so that you can come back and uh, have... Uh, people you who didn't maybe get a chance to do this kind of music the first time around do it this time around. You know, so many reasons why these things kind of cycle. And I'll and and what I say now is this: so towards the end of the two thousands and through really now, or at least a couple of years ago, rock music, as at least as far as popularity and and the money it makes, seriously on the decline. Uh, electronic music of all kinds and hip hop, uh, you know, have just taken over in a way that, again, has infused every other kind of music too. And it, it was not just necessary, but it was, you know, it has been very vibrant and has, you know, brought a lot of new ideas in terms of, you know, music arrangement and production that will then, of course, influence the next wave you know, of rock, whether that means rock will integrate those things, which it will in some way, or will say, I don't want to do those things anymore. Let me try something kind of raw and, uh, you know, back to basics. And I say at least up to the last few years, because you start to see new artists creating just straight up rock music again in ways that hasn't been done I think really since the 2000s, you know, at least to this degree. And the great thing about it, and I talked about this, oh God, I forget which episode, uh, might have been, oh, it was my emo episode last season, is that music that used to be the domain of white dudes, which you can say is quite a bit of music, but in particular this kind of music, emo and, and power pop and and, you know, certain kinds of rock, is now being done by everybody of of every gender and sexuality and ethnicity. And that's only going to make things more diverse and more vibrant and more exciting and more interesting to people who are really tuned into and listening to music today. So that, and I predict this, and, you know, hello, everybody in 2028 who is seeing this as a prediction. But five years from now, it's now 2023, uh, you'll start to hear people again talking about the huge resurgence of rock music. May even happen, may even happen sooner than that. But I think that at the latest by 2028, that's going to happen. Doesn't mean electronic will go away in any shape or form. But that's that is my prediction. And so, I am now going to shift things slightly as far as how I structure my podcasts. You know. I have something else to do. Normally I would do it. And then I would get to, here's, here's the song I'm presenting to you. 
my song, talk about it. Goodbye, see you next week. Instead, I'm not going to do that. I have a surprise here. And that surprise is I did a tremendous amount of research and I came up with a list of bands, artists, solo bands, solo artist bands, who either started in the 2000s, started just before the 2000s, and made a giant impact in the 2000s with rock music. It's, it, it's, it's not going to be comprehensive. I'm going to talk, it, it's, well, I'll tell you now, in case you want to see it, uh, if I remember this, I'll put a link in the text, at least on the YouTube video, to where you can go in, the, in this podcast to hear this list. Because what I'm going to do is read every name out from beginning to end. And there are significantly more than 200 of those. And it's going to be fun. But I think it's partly because I want to point out to you what kind of an explosion there was. But also, there may be bands that you know that you haven't heard of in a while that you were always a fan of. And I remember when I was doing this research and I you know, read the name of a band that I hadn't heard in a while. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot about them. It's so exciting or whatever it is. Uh, there, there are so many potential connections there. And, and, you know, one of the exciting things about this, and this is my other surprise. And I'm going to tell you this right now because uh, I'm on the subject before I get to my song. And that is I made playlists from old mixes. I made uh, 13 CDs. Those are round metallic objects that contained, you know, music. For those of you who don't know that. Back in the mid-2000s, no later than 2007, time between 2005 and 2007, I'm not sure the exact year, of various kinds of rock music. Uh, right around that time, the music service Pandora went public. It had been around since 2000, but it went public, I think, in 05. I was super excited because I hadn't really gotten into any, any other kind of streaming or anything like that before. It didn't really exist much. And so I created, as if you know, if you're a Pandora user, stations based on the type of music that I wanted and, and, you know, curated them and said yes to this song, no to this song, whatever. And as I was listening, I was making a list. Oh my God, I love this song. This one I remember. 90% of this stuff I hadn't heard before and it was so freaking exciting. But I didn't have the money to purchase downloads or buy CDs of all this stuff. So I went over to one of my favorite services at the time. And I talked about this uh, with my Danger Mouse episode, and that is LimeWire. And I downloaded every single one of those songs from LimeWire as an MP3. And I burned, and I'm going to show you right now. And if you're just listening, go over to my youtube.com slash at music so you can see I burned these CDs. So, you know, I'll put them up a little closer. That's just some Sharpie writing on there. And I made for each one of them, uh, I'll pull one out real quick, an insert. I got rid of the jewel cases, or there's a stack over there, with the list of songs and the genre that I was doing. So this one you see, Indie, Ecology, Rock, one. I did two of those. Uh, And, you know, to make sure I... Which is good because CDs don't have a, you know, as long a shelf life as people think. The ones you burn yourself, the stuff on it can disappear more quickly than you realize. Uh, So at any rate, I made these 
and 13 of them. And some was like two CDs of the same kind of music. So that's why you see this one says Indie College Rock 1 because I'll, you know, I did two of them. And so out of those 13 I uh, mixes, I created seven playlists on both Spotify and YouTube. And as always with Spotify, there are a few songs that were just never released there. So I made a note of which ones weren't there if you want to try to find them yourself. But surprisingly on YouTube, out of the 13 CDs worth of songs in these seven mixes or playlists, there were two songs I couldn't find on there. Uh, I may decide to upload them myself from these, you know, aforementioned CDs and that way, fans of those bands who are looking for those songs can find them as well, and I can add them to the mixes, you know. But we'll see. Hopefully, I may get to that before this is publicly released. Uh, but for you Patreon loves out there, those songs aren't going to be on there, and I'm sure you care so much. But that that's my one of my big surprises. My other big surprise is that I'm going to give you links on both Spotify and YouTube to these playlists right here so that you can hear yourself what was going on at the time. It's not going to contain certainly every band I'm naming or every even every kind of music, but it's enough of a representation of what was going on at the time that you'll get you'll understand. Uh and yeah, and I'm just excited about it. it these these are uh playlists that I intended to make months ago when I was making my other playlists from the 80s and 90s. And just never quite got around to it. And I realized this was the perfect episode to do that for. So there you go. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out if you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts. Take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, the song that I'm choosing is, of course, it's a rec song because I started the band Rec in the 2000s after I had kind of gotten tired of the stuff that I was doing on my own in my solo career. And I wanted to change my approach and my sound. And it fit right in with everything that was going on at the time. You know, Rec's first album, which... Uh, if I don't knock everything down as I'm going, I can get here, which is right here, Parts and Labor, released in 2007. Um, those songs are featured on, some of those songs are featured on this playlist, as are some songs from a couple of earlier uh, CDs that I put out under my own name, Pre-Rec. And one of the songs from this album, Parts and Labor, again, you people who aren't watching, uh, um, just imagine a wooden box with a big red button on it, or a big red rec record button. And the song that I am uh, showcasing is also on my new album, It Wasn't Me. The cover songs, movie music, weird unreleased singles, 
uh, that as of this uh, recording in January 2023 is, is brand spanking new. And it's the Rex version of the theme song to the cartoon. I think it was an Adult Swim cartoon. Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Theme song by Schoolie D. I got uh, my manager at the time. His firm also managed Schoolie D. So I got direct permission from Schoolie D to cover this song and use it. And uh, it was the first ever official cover song that I released on any album. And it ended, it was kind of a bonus track, if you will, on this Parts and Labor album of Wreck. And so if you know that, if you don't know it, go look it up. It's just an awesome cartoon, just super weird and funny. And it's like a 30 to 45 second maybe theme song that Schoolie D just knocks out of the park and is, you know, kind of electro hip hop or whatever you want to call it. It had some classic elements to it and scratching and stuff. And then we just did it in sort of a rock band mode and extended it and did some jams and did some weird shit in there. And I'm going to play that in the next, uh, for you in the next like 10 to 20 seconds and then come back or listen to the song. And when the song is done, I'm going to fade back in magic. See that? And read the list of the bands and artists that I talked about. That's going to be kind of my last bonus feature here. But I figured if you're not the kind of person who loves lists or doesn't want to hear a bunch of band names, then I would give you the meat and the and the good stuff first. The Obviously, the, the podcasts and my playlists and then this song so that you could say, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. But if you're really into it, listen through to this whole song. It's coming up in a second. And then come on back and we'll have some fun with the giant list. Uh, I will talk to you soon.
magic. We are back. Wow. Behind the scenes, I sat here for about four seconds so that I had an opportunity to fade while I faded in the song, Aqua Teen Hunger Force theme song, and then fade out. But it's really honestly all the same video. Fun stuff. And that brings me to the super fun thing. And you'll you'll understand why I have displayed this one particular CD up here on the custom speaker when I could have displayed several dozen from my collection. It's to make a, it's again to make another point. Again, this is not a comprehensive list. I wish it were. I tried real hard. I looked up lists of even just general music, rock music, music in general, music from the 2000s. There was not a single list anywhere that included this many bands. So uh, I don't, I haven't figured out where I'm going to publish this yet because it's in too many uh, characters to fit on anything like YouTube or anywhere else. But I do plan to put it up somewhere for anyone who's interested in a list of bands like this and has looked at other ones and said, I, I'm, they're missing bands that I love or, or whatever you want to say. It's not going to include straight up pop or hip hop or electro. There will be some of all of that in here to some degree, because that did cross over into the rock world or vice versa. Uh, and But it's, it's going to focus again just on all the various genres and subgenres of rock music that were, you know, alive and well in the 2000s. As I mentioned before, bands that either started then and were big then or were getting ready to be up and coming right after then or who started right before then and hit it big in the 2000s. Uh, I have some honorable mentions of bands that are just too old and had success before the 2000s, but were, you know, and established themselves before then, but were also super successful in the 2000s. And I'll mention honorable mentions later on. Uh, and one more note here. Well, two things. One is, if I'm missing somebody, tell me. If you think there's a band on here that doesn't deserve to be on here, I, I'm going to keep them on here. But I'd love to know why you think that. Uh, comments, or if there's a band on here where you're like, wow, oh my God, I want to talk to you about this, please send me a comment about that. And then the second thing is, many of these bands don't exist anymore. And that's partly because the music industry tanked and low to mid-level bands are not being supported anymore of any kind of music, really. It's partly because economics often dictate whether or not a band survives and not either uh, fans or the musical interests of the creators themselves. There are artists out there who hung up their whatever instrument and just quit because they needed to get on with life and make money in some way and couldn't do both. Whatever you want. There are so many bands who put out one album, two albums, maybe even three, and then just tanked. You know, some bands break up because people go solo or somebody has a tragic ending or so many other reasons. But I would venture to argue that the majority of bands that that don't exist anymore, that stopped existing after a short period, especially, did so because of money. Which, uh, when, I, when I did my episode on the Hives last season, I talked about how some countries support the arts, regardless of how much money you make. We don't do that. So that's those are my kind of caveats there. Let's get to the list. Uh, 
And I'm not going to, I'm not going to comment on every single one of these because that would take 17 hours. But I will say this. They're in alphabetical order, starting with character, number, and then letters, except for all the bands that start with the, I put together because I thought it would be fun to read them off kind of rapid fire style to show you how many bands had the, the as their first word. And then, like I said, at the end, honorable mention. So let's get to this. Uh, I am going to explain this first one. Three exclamation points. Pronounced chick, chick, chick. Do not search three exclamation points band. It won't come up. You got to search CHK, CHK, CHK band. And you'll find them. A uh, couple with just numbers. Three Doors Down, 30 Seconds to Mars, which is Jared Leto's band. If you are saying to yourself in some of these cases, hey, these bands started in the 90s. Well, yeah, but they had their stride in the 2000s or made a big impact in the 2000s. Doesn't mean that they didn't uh, slightly before or beyond that, but that's what I'm saying here. So uh, here we go. A Day to Remember. AFI, again, started in 1991, but they're really their impact was in the 2000s when the rest of the music world caught up with them. Against Me. Alabama Shakes, Alien Ant Farm, All-American Rejects, All-Time Low, Alter Bridge, Alt-J, Amber Pacific, one of those emo, grimo, whatever, American Hi-Fi, I think Garage, Amy Winehouse, who didn't just do rock, but she was so hardcore in what she did do and had that crossover that I, I needed to put her on this list, Andrew W.K., and you will know us by the Trail of Dead. One of my favorites at the time, Angels and Airwaves, Animal Collective, A Perfect Circle, Arcade Fire, Arctic Monkeys, Army Navy, Audio Slave. Yeah, okay. You know, consists of members of bands that started in the 80s and 90s, but still they had their big impact in the 2000s. August Burns Red, Autopilot Off, Avenged Sevenfold, AWOL Nation, Baby Shambles, one of those weird compound words, Badly Drawn Boy, a one-person band, Band of Horses, Bangs, Bishop Allen, one of the many... Bands of the Brooklyn Explosion, which I don't think ever really stopped. Black Lipstick, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, Blink-182, again, 1992, but they really were huge in the 2000s, as you know. Block Party, one of my all-time favorite bands ever, and especially from that era. They they reawoke me to music that I didn't know could exist at the time. Bowling for Soup, Boys Like Girls, Brandy Carlisle got her start in that decade. Breaking Benjamin, Bright Eyes, that's indie folk. Uh, a lot of that happened in that era. era. Uh, did I? Yeah. And, and I think I mentioned some of those earlier. Cadillac Blindside, Cage the Elephant. That's that three word weirdness. Cauldron, Cave In, Charm Particles, another compound word. Circa Survive, Philly Represent. Kelly Clarkson, again, does much more than rock. But when she rocked, she could rock. And she started in the 2000s. She deserves to be mentioned here. Coheed and Cambria, Coldplay, started in the 90s. But yeah, you know. Consonant. Uh, from an older band, but started in the 2000s or right before. Convoge, which I think is a Swedish band, and I'm sure I am pronouncing that wrong. It's probably Convoy or whatever, but it's with a J at the end. Hard to find their music online. Convoy, with a Y. Crystal Castles, Dashboard Confessional, one of my favorites at the time, kind of acoustic emo. Daughtry, Days Away, Death Cab for Cutie which I will mention why they're related to the Beatles when I uh, do part, I want to say four of, yeah, part four of my uh, Beatles series. Death From Above, 1979. Both songs that I believe are um, Smashing Pumpkin songs, and I assume that's where they got their name. I don't know. De Novo Dal, De Sol or De Soleil, I'm not sure which. 
Pretty, Dirty Pretty Things, Dirty Projectors, Disturbed, Division of Laura Lee, another Swedish band. So many great Swedish bands like the, the Hives, etc. Don't Look Down, Doves, Down to Earth Approach, Drowning Pool, Eagles of Death Metal, Escape the Fate, Evanescence, Fall Out Boy, Fielding, Fire When Ready, Five Finger Death Punch, Fleet Foxes, more kind of indie folk, Florence and the Machine, a band, and I'll mention this for a couple of others, who didn't really have their significant impact until the next decade, but they started in the 2000s. Uh, so I thought they deserved a mention. Flyleaf, Foles, Foster the People. Again, band more than the 2010s, pumped up kicks, whatever. Fountains of Wayne started in the 90s, but were huge in the 2000s. It was their most successful period. Franz Ferdinand, Godsmack, Good Charlotte, Gorillas, Gratitude. This CD here on the custom. So a band I bought, I spent money on this, Gratitude. Kind of a hardcore band, I believe. I can't remember fully. I looked them up. I think this was their only album. I think they were around for two years. I will never have any reason to speak of them again in any other podcast. I wanted to highlight that, partly to make the point that this is the kind of stuff that was happening in the 2000s. Yes, it happened in every era. There are bands you can discover or rediscover. That existed in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever, that barely made an impact. And then people are like, oh my God, whatever, you know, why didn't they? The music was great. Uh, I don't even remember if this is a band that I would say, go ahead, find them and, and listen to them. It's worth it. It was worth it enough to me to buy, though. And it just makes the point of how pervasive uh, new rock bands and rock music and rock artists were at the time. Grizzly Bear. Gym Class Heroes, High on Fire, Him, started earlier, but, you know, pretty big with that kind of like goth, you know, neo-goth, Hoobastank, Hope's Fall, Hot Hot Heat, one of my favorites, Hope's Fall, by the way, compound word, at least according to that band, Idlewild, British band, Imagine Dragons started then, again, probably had their greater impact in the decade following, Immaculate Machine, Incubus, Interpol, Jet, Jimmy Eat World, one of my favorites at the time. Kaiser Chiefs, Kasabian Keen, Kruangbin, hopefully. Uh, Kids in the Way, uh, one of the many Christian bands at the time. Killswitch Engage, Kings of Leon, kind of that uh, uh, Southern Rock Revival, one of those bands. Klaxons, Korn, Avril Lavigne, again, Skater Boy, whatever. This is to show you that up until Olivia Rodrigo and, and Bia Badubi and people like that of this day, there was an entire, several, like a decade, where if you were a pop artist, you didn't do rock music. Unless you were Pink, who does everything, and who started before this, but again, deserves a mention. Uh, you, you often defaulted to kind of power pop rock, for to you know to get a hit and that again Avril Lavigne that didn't happen much and still to many degrees doesn't happen that much today but did start to happen again a few years ago and I think we're going to hear more of that Lincoln Park LCD Sound System Louis the Fourteenth Low I have a CD by Low called Drums and Guns Maroon Five Mastodon great hard band Mastodon Matchbook Romance John Mayer McCluskey Mew Management, MGMT, which I believe is another one of those single dude bands. Minus the Bear, Modest Mouse, started earlier but had a big impact in the 2000s. Morningwood, a very fun compound word. 
Motion City soundtrack, Mumford and Sons, started in the 2000s, probably had a greater impact after. Muse, Mute Math, that's a band I would say get into. Exciting, they should have been more popular. I think they're still around. My Chemical Romance, who are coming back, putting out a new album, I believe, this year. My Morning Jacket, more Southern Rock. Newfound Glory, Nickelback, that's the post-grunge, you know. Uh, Olivia, the band, is striking, A, because three words, B, because it has the word the, C, because it's Christian band, and D, because even though I'm talking about the O's, 2000s, it is the only O band on this list. Weird. Uh, other than, I think, X, it's the only other uh, one, or maybe oh, X and Q, that only has one, right? Palomar, from Brooklyn also. Panic at the Disco. Papa Roach, Paramore, Parts and Labor. Not this album that I just told you. I remember when I named this album. Shortly after that, I heard about a band with the name Parts and Labor. And I was like, ah, damn. But they spell it the American way, L-A-B-O-R. And I spell it L-A-B-O-U-R as my homage to to Brit, Brit Rock. Pedro the Lion, Perfect World, Phoenix, Pilot or P-I-L-A-T-E, or I think they were also named Pilot Speed, P-I-L-O-T, Speed. Pilot to Gunner, Pinehurst Kids, Portugal, period, the man. So decipher that. Postal Service comes from Death Cab for Cutie. Queens of the Stone Age, Ra Ra Riot. Hey, did I mention Death Cab? Yes, I did. Uh, Ra Ra Riot was another sort of favorite that was kind of second to Hot Ha Heat at the time, and their names are very similar too. Wreck, check out this relatively new t-shirt it can be for sale you bought it uh but yes so rex started in 2004 first album 2007 and we've been kind of going strong ever since rilo kylie rise against royal republic sanctus real or real that's another christian rock band saves the day secret machines good band and i think of them in the same breath as another band i'll be mentioning later seether self against city seven dust shadows fall bree sharp philly represent shine down sigur roche another kind of post rock deal silver sun pickups that's the band i think everybody should get into and if you like them you'll probably also like secret machines that's why i wanted to mention that simple plan slipknot snow patrol sparta spine shank that's new metal as well spoon started before but man spoon still around had a good album last year stain star sailor Kind of like a Travis-y, early Coldplay feel. Uh, kind of, you know, mellow, soft. Stereo Mud. Sufjan Stevens started then. Had probably greater impact later, but was had an impact then. St. Vincent started then. Again, greater impact later. Some 41, Switchfoot, Swords. System of a Down, Tame Impala. Taking Back Sunday. I talked about them. Emo, Screamo. Tapes and Tapes. Tenement Halls. Also a solo, single person. And now we get to the funnest part of all. Are you ready for this? It's the The section. The The was a band that was founded in 1979, a post-punk band. And I remember in a class in school, when we were asked to name, by an algebra teacher, name a band, create your own band name. I was being kind of a smartass and said, mine's called The The's. And then I learned that several years before, there was already a band called The The. So not, not, not so smart buddy and here we go uh take a deep breath i don't know if i need to 
1975, The Adored, The Airborne Toxic Event, The Apples in Stereo, The Audition, The Black Dahlia Murder, The Black Keys, The Bravery, The Click Five, The Cribs, The Darkness, The Decemberists, The Departure, The Dillinger Escape Plan, The Divorce, The Drums, The Fire Theft from Sunny Day Real Estate, The Format, The Fratellis, The Fray, The Future Heads, Awesome Band, The Golden Republic, The Golden Virgins, The Head and the Heart, The Hives, The Hold Steady, The Horrors, Great Neo-Goth, The Howling Hex, The Joggers, The Junior Varsity, The Killers, yeah, The Libertines, The Local Division, The Lovemakers, The Lumineers, kind of an indie folk, The Mars Volta, The Mooney Suzuki, The National, The New Pornographers, The Polyphonic Spree, Psychedelic Baby, The Raconteurs, The Rakes, The Raconteurs from uh, White Stripes, The Rapture, The Ravenettes, The Shins, uh, a guy who produced an album of mine was going to go on to produce The Shins before he tragically uh, died. Uh, so there's an, an almost connection there. The Soundtrack of Our Lives, another Swedish band. The Star Spangles, The Starting Line, Philly Represent, The Stills, The Strokes, The Subways, The Sunshine Fix from Olivia Tremor Control, The Thrills, The Unicorns, The Vines, I think from Australia, The Weather Machines, not to be confused with another band, The Weather Machine, which I think is a much newer band. The White Stripes, The Wombats, one of my favorites, and the Zootons. Last one, the Zootons wrote and recorded the song Valerie, which then Amy Winehouse made into a huge hit with Mark Ronson. Those were the thes. I didn't count them. You count them. Tell me how many there were. Uh, getting on. Thrice. Thursday. Train. Travis. TV on the radio. Another Brooklyn band. 21 Pilots. Ulysses, which was Robert Schneider's uh, band, aside from the Apples and Stereo, uh, met Robert Schneider uh, at a screening of a film about Elephant Six. Nice guy. Under Oath. Again, a weird compound word. It's not supposed to be. Vampire Weekend. Love to hate. Love to love. Velvet Revolver. We, uh, again, a band that started, people who started in the 80s and 90s, but they deserve a mention there. They had some big hits. We Are Scientists. That's a band that I really think people should go back and rediscover. We Are Scientists. Wilco, Wolfmother, Hawksley Workman, Xenomorph, Dutch Metal. Xenomorph. And plus, on my only ex. So I had to put that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put an album out recently. Very good album. Yellow Card. Again, compound word. Okay. Young the Giant, weird three-word name, and Zero Hour. For those of you counting, that's 262 bands. And here's some honorable mentions. People who started earlier and had hits earlier but made a huge impact also in this decade. You had Bjork. You had Creed. You really can't mention the 2000s without those post-grunge bands like Creed and Nickelback. Uh, the Flaming Lips have been around forever. They had a huge uh, Yoshimi Battles of Pink Robots. Do you realize? Oh, my God. Foo Fighters. Yeah, started way before, several several years before, but were as huge then as they have been now and since. Green Day, same story. I mean, American Idiot was 2004, I believe. Lenny Kravitz, started in the 80s, but still huge. Still had some huge hits in the 2000s. Matchbox 20, started in the 90s. No doubt started in the 90s, but still they all had hits uh Liz Fair started way way back had a huge album that decade pink as i mentioned radiohead started in the 80s red hot chili peppers early 80s huge in the 2000s sleater kinney started in the 90s sunny Day real estate started in the 90s but both you know were very impactful in the 2000s tool u2 started in the 70s huge albums in the 2000s and weezer who's one of those bands like uh green day and Foo Fighters, who just continually renew themselves and continue to have hits. And believe it or not, as we approach nearly 300 artists here, 
and nearly an hour. That's the end of this list, and that's the end of this episode of Music Is Not a Genre. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Uh, I certainly had more fun in actually doing the podcast than I did researching it. It was fun to research, but, you know, that takes some work. If you'd like to support that work, patreon.com slash genre. And you get some fun behind-the-scenes stuff, and you get to talk to, directly to Moa as well. And other than that, please let me know what you think of all this. What are your opinions on any of this? Do you agree with the premise in general or completely disagree? Do you like any of the bands I mentioned or are there bands I completely left out and you don't understand why they weren't mentioned when I went alphabetically and I skipped and you said, wait a second, why didn't you say that? Let me know. Because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for hanging in. If you did all the way, you deserve a prize. And I'll talk to you next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.